Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is taken from St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, today's Gospel. We hear again this portion. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. This is the word of our God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. This week in catechism class, we learned about God's attributes, those characteristics that make him who he is. And so we learn things like how God is holy and just, but also gracious and compassionate and loving. We learn that God is eternal, all kinds of adjectives to describe our God. We also talked about the great omni words that describe our God. Omni is the Latin word for all. And so we learned that our God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's present everywhere all the time. And we also talked about how these words are at the same time comforting, but also a little bit unnerving. I mean, that our God is omnipotent assures us that he is able to do everything necessary to take care of us. But it also tells us he has the power to judge and to destroy. That God is omniscient assures us that he knows our situation. He knows exactly what we're going through in life. But he also knows every thought that comes into my mind and every word that flies out of my mouth. That God is omnipresent, present everywhere, means he's by my side, he's with me at all times. But it also means he sees everything that I do. Jesus is watching. I want you to imagine this situation. You're in church Sunday morning, comes time for the offering, and you go, oh, I forgot to write out the offering check. And since you're a good Lutheran, you're sitting way in the back, you know you have time to get out your checkbook and get out your pen and write that check before the plate gets down to you. And so you do that. You pull out your checkbook, you start scribbling away, and then you notice out of the corner of your eye the guy next to you not so subtly craning his neck and looking over to see what you're writing on that check. He's long-necking you. How would you react to that? I mean, how rude, right? Is there no personal privacy anymore? Listen again to the words of our text. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched. It seems like our Savior has no sense of personal privacy either. And here's a sobering thought for you. If 2,000 years ago Jesus watched that widow and the other worshipers bring their offerings in, he watched what they gave, then that means he's probably paying attention to my offerings as well. So today we ask, should Jesus really be watching my wealth? We hear the words of our text, and it may surprise us to learn that Jesus was watching people bringing in their offerings. But what should surprise us even more is when this happened. This happened on Tuesday of Holy Week. In just a few days, Jesus would be hanging on a cross of all the things he could have been doing, of all the people he could have been talking to. Where was he? Sitting in the temple courts, watching people make their offerings. He wasn't there, by the way, just to take a breather from his other activities. 
Our text tells us that he was watching. The Greek word indicates, in a sense, that he was studying those offerings. Now, to shy and discreet Lutherans like you and me, the thought of Jesus sitting there watching, studying, staring, makes us more than a little bit uncomfortable. So, what did Jesus see? Well, he saw many rich people come and throw large amounts into the offering. And that shouldn't surprise us. We would expect that rich families would be big givers. But again, the Greek word here is a little bit interesting. It seems to indicate that these big givers were getting back into the offering line over and over again, almost like they wanted to be seen. Mr. Usher, can you come please and pass the plate down our pew one more time? I want to give my other offering envelope. You see, Jesus knew not only what was the amounts in their hands, he also knew the attitudes of their hearts. But then Jesus saw someone else, someone quite different. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Nobody at worship that day would have mistaken her for a big giver. Widows in those days were almost universally poor. They generally had no reliable source of income. Social Security was not going to be invented for another 1,900 years, and that, of course, across an ocean. So this woman was poor. As the old saying goes, she didn't have two dimes to rub together. Instead, she just had those two tiny copper coins, which she put into the collection. No surprise that her offering was small. What is surprising is what Jesus said about all this. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. Now, at that moment, can you see Jesus' disciples kind of scratching their heads and saying, Lord, she put in a pittance. Did you see those two little copper coins? And all these other people, they were putting amounts, huge amounts in there, more money than I've ever seen with my eyes. But Jesus could see what they couldn't see. He said, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jerusalem's big givers were giving out of their abundance. They gave thousands, perhaps, but they had many, many thousands more in reserve. And when they were done worshiping at the temple that day, they went back to their large, spacious, comfortable mansions. They gave big gifts, but there was precious little personal sacrifice behind those gifts. I mean, what they really gave was some of the frosting. And then they went home where they had lots of cake and lots more frosting left over. The widow was different. She did not give frosting. She didn't have frosting. She didn't even have cake. She gave her bread money, her milk money. She gave all she had to live on, which was only a few cents. Now, the amount of her offering was, was tiny. But the commitment and the sacrifice behind it were huge. They were total. She gave all she had. And yet, she realized, didn't she, that she still possessed everything even after she gave those little copper coins? She realized that she still had her Lord and she still had God's rock-solid promises and his gift of faith to trust in them. Here's the lesson that she teaches all of us today. That widow gave even beyond her ability because she trusted 
in the Lord's ability to take care of her. Now, if you had been there that day and you had witnessed this scene, what might you have been tempted to say to that widow? Oh, honey, don't, please, don't put those last two coins of yours into the plate. God knows your situation, and he certainly knows your heart. He knows you want to give to him. He understands. He understands that later on, when you have more, when you're in a better situation, then, then you'll be able to give to him. You take those two coins, and you go and you buy yourself something to eat. I think we would have been tempted that way. We would have been tempted to discourage her from bringing that offering, and in so doing... We would have been discouraging her from doing the very thing that Jesus told her to do. This is what we're like sometimes, isn't it? My friends, is it possible that sometimes we are really good at coming up with pious-sounding excuses not to give, but we're pretty bad at encouraging one another to bring offerings that could be described as godly and generous? And finally, it all comes down to this. All these past three weeks that we've been looking at this issue and really our entire life of stewardship, it comes down to this. Do we trust our God or don't we? It's a basic yes and no question. I mean, when was the last time that we gave sacrificially? I mean, really trusting our God to keep his promises. I mean, just for example, I'll I'll give you a basic example from life. Why is it seemingly so easy, something we hardly even think about, to send thousands of dollars to Fidelity or Charles Schwab or Edward Jones? We do that regularly. Well, we trust those reputable companies to take care of our money and to make it grow. Here's the thing. They make no promises that our money given to them is going to grow. In fact, they do just the opposite. They give us legalese and fine print. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. So Eddie Jones makes no promises. God does. Listen to these words from Paul's pen. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Why are we often so tempted to trust fidelity more than our faithful father? Why do we so often take comfort, feel our security in our investments, in our portfolios, but on the other hand can think of our offerings to the Lord as a net loss. My friends, the reason that we often fail to imitate that widow in sacrificial giving is simply because we don't always trust our God's promises like we should. We don't always trust him to care for us body and soul. And do you know what the cure for such a lack of trust is? Jesus. My friends, look at your Savior. Look at the riches of Christ. Look at his perfect life. Look at his blood-stained cross. Look at his empty and open tomb. You see, our God offered us his all. He gave us everything in his Son. God didn't just clink a couple of coins into the the plate. Nor did he give a gift of just thousands and thousands of dollars. No, God offered you the double treasure of his Son's perfect life lived for you and his Son's innocent death died for you. Our Lord Jesus knows all about coins and money, doesn't he? When Satan came to him in the wilderness and tempted him with all the world's riches, 
Jesus told Satan to go jump in a lake. And when in the temple courts people were making a mockery of the place, they were fleecing the flock, Jesus made a a whip of cords and he came and he drove them out. And just days after watching this widow bring her offering, Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane, sold by one of his closest friends for 30 pieces of silver. And just think about that for a moment. Our Lord Jesus never had so much as a greedy thought in his life. But human greed led directly to his crucifixion. And thank God that he did, my friends, because on that cross our Lord Jesus bled and died for sinners who crave copper more than Christ and people who long for silver more than they long for their Savior. My friends, that includes even you and me. And Jesus knows all about widows too, doesn't he? And their needs. I mean, just a few days after the events of our text, Jesus looked down from the cross on another widow, his own mother. And he made sure that he, she was taken care of. He talked to his dear disciple John and said, Take care of my mother. Even though his hands were pinned to a cross, Jesus opened them to make sure that she was cared for. And he's doing the same thing today. He still opens his nail-scarred, crucified, but risen and glorified hands to satisfy the desires of every living thing. My friends, in Jesus, there is nothing missing. We have everything. Everything that we could ever need for body and soul, including the forgiveness that we crave and the motivation that we so desperately need to open our hands in a way that glorifies our God and serves our neighbor. So, Jesus is omnipresent and all-knowing. He's watching. He's watching his people's wealth. He's still watching us and our offerings. What's he going to see? What's he going to see in our hearts as we bring them? A paltry tip? A mere obligation? A joyless chore? God forbid. Instead, my friends, let's bring our Savior our very best. First fruits, proportional, sacrificial, carefully planned, and cheerfully given. We have every reason to give in that way. And the most important reason of all is this. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.